Our reading today is from Isaiah chapter 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, who f- he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you. I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I, and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and the reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished and snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Chris Nichols. Thank you. I told a number of you that uh, just getting here this morning, I was already having fun. So it's, it's great to be here. It's great to see you in this place and to gather with you in this moment in the journey for a Newton Covenant. As Ellen and I have been praying for you, we've been following a lot about this journey, what it's meant and what it's meant to progress forward. And a couple of things that have come to mind is that, first of all, the journey that you're on parallels the journey of God's people in scriptural history. There's a lot of similarities. And the second thing is, is that as God walked with his people on the journey they were in, he always made a way for them. Made a way in the desert, streams of the desert, a way forward in the wilderness. There are tons of examples in scripture, which we don't have time to go through, but here are a few. When God released the children of, of Israel from Egypt, he literally sent them out into the wilderness. And over the time they spent in the wilderness, God made a way for them. And he literally put streams in the desert for them, making a future for them they couldn't see, developing them into a people they couldn't have imagined while they were in Egypt. When Israel was conquered by the Babylonians in a horror show of destruction for them, God literally made a way for them to flourish in Babylon in a way they would never expect and formed them into a people they would not expect to be. They never could have become had they stayed in Israel. And he literally provided streams of hope for them while they were in captivity. When Stephen was killed in Acts 7, the church was new. It was soon after Jesus' resurrection. It was flourishing. Thousands were coming to faith. And then opposition rose up to Stephen, and he was killed in front of the public. And I'm sure for everyone who was there, they began to think this was the end. A violent persecution rose up. They were threatened with their very lives, and the church scattered, and I know they felt it was the end. 
But God made a way for them to become a community they would never expect for his gospel to advance in ways they couldn't see or they couldn't foresee if they simply stayed in Jerusalem. Because it's what God does. He makes a way in the wilderness. When Paul was nearly stoned, I don't mean chemically, but literally with rocks, when he was doing his mission work in the city of Lystra, they were having an incredible response. And then opposition rose up. And they dragged him outside the city and threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. And I have to believe that those who were his companions at that moment thought, we've made a terrible mistake. We should have never come on this journey. What are we doing? It's over. And then miraculously, Paul gets up and they go on to Derby and to the next towns and the gospel spreads in ways they could never have imagined. God literally making a way forward for the kingdom. What you learn as you follow Jesus in this world, is that this is what God does. When Newton Covenant was evicted from its building, and when there were people who tried to unravel this community deliberately and purposely, God is making a way forward that you can't imagine. God is doing a work that you would never have believed a few months ago, a year ago. God is deliberately working forward to make a way in a wilderness that you can't find your way through on your own. And he is providing streams in the desert. They will always be there ahead of you at the right time. It's a wilderness you didn't choose. A wilderness that was forced upon you. But one that God is present in and doing a work in. To help his kingdom advance and his community flourish. It's the way he works. The broken world explodes around us. And we get caught in the blast. And are undone. And then in that moment, when the debris is scattered on every side, God does his work. He reforms, he reshapes, he redoes, and he redoes things around us to give us new vision for who we are as a community in the midst of a world that seeks to undo and destroy us. He makes a new way forward. And he helps us learn how to navigate into places we've never, ever been. And because we don't know what we're doing in those settings... As put together as you all are in this moment, I suspect you actually don't know what you're doing exactly in this space. But the great news is that God does. And so in this space, when we get in these places, then we all of a sudden turn to God, we let go of an old life, and we embrace a new waves with him at the center. It's clear God is doing a new thing in Newton Covenant. Anyone coming here who's seen this community before would know that. He's deconstructing what used to be so a new thing can be built. He's unraveling that, was, that which was distracting and reweaving a new pattern that's even more glorious than the past so that you can be a new community and a new witness for people that you haven't met yet. You've been refree, uh, freed from the constraints of a building and a history, not a heritage, by the way. There's a spiritual heritage that sits in this room that many of you hold on to, that actually gives you courage for the future and gives testimony to the greatness of God. You don't lose that. But there's a history that you've been released from, a history that could have straight-jacketed this community, straight-jacketed your imagination or dampened your ability to take risks in the faith. And God has freed you from that and sent you in a new adventure with him, not on your own, but with him and he going forward. It's what God does. Revelation at the very end of the Bible, 21.5, talks about God making all things new with patterns that you don't recognize. It's just the way God works. And the community of faith 
that follows Jesus learns both how to celebrate his greatness and flex with him as he reshapes who we are, personally and organizationally, and organizationally and then personally. But there are some things that he wants to remind us of as we move forward. There are three that I want to mention out of the scriptures today, and the first one is this. The Lord reminds his people that he's the Lord. He says it over and over and over again. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no Savior. I revealed and saved and proclaimed, I am not some foreign God among you. There is no other God besides the Lord. There is no other God. And we forget that in easy times because while God seems like a good idea when we have control, he doesn't actually seem necessary. When we're in a high-functioning place or we're in a place where we're even self-satisfied, God is more the advisor than he is the leader. It's in crisis that our idols get exposed. It's in crisis where we discover that we were worshiping things that actually have little or no power. It's in crisis we discover the things we were holding onto to find identity and power as a community, the things that shaped us, actually weren't about God. They were about something else. They weren't necessarily bad things, but they weren't about him. And it's in discomfort, then our eyes are open to God, because unless it's about God, we have no reason to gather. When the comforts are taken away from us, we're able to lean into him, and no other, and discover there's no other God before him. So when we're stripped of resources that gave us security and stability, we lose the blinders and we begin to see in a new way. And then we're free to worship him. The God is the Lord, and he's standing high and tall in this place and calling us to himself without distraction. The second thing from this that he wants to remind us of is that he knows us, that we're not forgotten. Do not fear, I've redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight because I love you. Throughout the scriptures, the Lord says to you and me, You are mine. I know you corporately and individually. In Isaiah 49, he says, can a nursing mother forget his child, her child? He says, I have inscribed your names on the palms of my hand, so you will be ever before me. He describes that naming as a corporate experience and individually. God does not forget us. And he'll remember us always in our moments of deepest insecurity when we literally don't know what we're doing, when we're not sure where we're going, when we're not sure we remember, God keeps coming back and saying, no, I know who you are. You can never wander farther away than God's memory. You can never actually leave him, which is both a blessing and at times feel like a curse because you can't escape him. But God will always remember and find you. We will walk through fires and floods. You know that. You've experienced that. That's the way the world is. And we are surprised by that because for those of us in our world, we have a lot of control about life. But the truth is, in this world, we will walk through fire and flood. But with the Lord, 
we will not actually be burned or drowned because he is always remembering, always naming, always calling us, always reminding us that we are his. And the best place to remember that is when the distractions are all taken away and you have to look to him. The third thing is to remember that he's in charge of the future. He says in Isaiah 43, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. We are to think and act and watch and wait for him to move because he is moving. We're not to dwell on the past and let it command the future. We're not to bluster our way and try to control it. We're actually to do the thing we're called to do in front of us and allow God to open up a future that we can't understand or can't quite see. Often I get disappointed when God doesn't simply bless the plans that I have or the future that I've set out. That's very difficult. But in the scriptures, the reality is that God has designed his community to be one where he will set the future vision and give it to us and then give us the courage to keep taking risks to walk forward into it. Romans 8.28 says, For God works together for good for all those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We are called then to submit ourselves to him, even as we walk forward. And so when a whole community is in a place where the risk feels everywhere as you gather together, it's essential then for everyone in the community to do all they can to give themselves to the Lord in devotional life, in prayer, in obedience, to ask as a community, what does it mean for me individually and us corporately to give ourselves to God so that his vision can become clear, to act in discipline, and then to release the past, to mourn, and then when mourning is ended, to move forward, to not compare the present to the past. That was the struggle of Israel in the wilderness. When things got hard, to try to remember, oh, things were so great in Egypt. That is not the call of a community in change, but rather to release the past so the future can be plain. And as communities remember those things, and they move forward into the wilderness, followed by the Lord, there are three things that always happen to communities. It's consistent throughout Scripture. Three things always happen. The first thing is this. Community develops. Not community that centers on us necessarily, though that's true. It's not an inwardly focused community, but all of a sudden, there's opportunity and places to gather new people in. Our tables become larger. We set new places for people we have yet to meet. We discover new ways to build relationships with people. Because we don't have outside ways of trying to gather. Interiorly, we make room for people. And God will bring those opportunities. In Acts 4, 32 to 37, after the the Holy Spirit has come with power, the church begins to expand. And then this amazing amount of community begins to form. They share all things in common. They gather together to worship. They look to the Lord. They celebrate what God is doing in the midst of them. That's what happens. Now, when things are stripped away, there's room in our hearts and minds for new people. And that will look differently depending on who you are. And it does take effort, by the way. God will provide the opportunity, but you have to say yes to it. For some people in this community, it will literally mean making space in your home for dinner with people you don't know. 
Others of you may be after church saying, would you like to go to lunch with us? We'd love to host you. For the others that may be taking the effort to actually make an appointment with someone, to have lunch if you're working downtown. And then in all those places, it's to make sure and allow that conversations move away from the superficial. They actually become conversations about the kingdom and what is happening to you in it. Not to preach to one another, but to share God's activity. I have a good friend that I met in church a long time ago. We meet once a month. And when we meet, what we talk about is how we're doing with God and where we're struggling with God and how we're being changed by God. And we share books and we pray together. We've gone on prayer retreats together over the years. It's a shaping relationship. And we are good friends. And we talk about other things, but primarily we know we're gathered together to talk about God. It's an essential in a church planting experience like this that you take the effort to engage with another at a spiritual level, no matter where you are. And it is perfectly fine to say in that conversation, I have no idea where I am with God. That is a valid thing to say, or to say, I am completely stuck in my relationship with God. Or to say, God is doing a new thing in me. And I guarantee the Lord will open the opportunity for depth to flow. And new things will happen as you have those conversations, whether you know each other well or not. Community happens in communities that are seeking God in the wilderness. The second thing that always happens is that prayer begins to come to the fore, always. Every time a community follows the Lord into a place of the wilderness, prayer erupts, sometimes quietly, sometimes loudly. Prayer becomes the place where others gather, we gather, the community of faith gathers to both talk to God and hear from God. There will be some in the community who will have visions and dreams who may never have them before. There are some in this community who have visions and dreams as they pray. And God will bring those to the fore. He'll give encouragement and direction to the community. Others in the community will feel the press to pray, the invitation to pray, or the urge to pray, or a feeling they ought to pray, and they may have not any idea how to do it. Ellen and I just led a prayer meeting a week ago for our community, our, our church plant we're involved in. About 12 of us gathered together, many people who'd never been in a prayer meeting before. We took them through 90 minutes of praying together for intercession, for praying for our friends, learning how to pray together, because there are those who felt the impulse to pray. There are other people in this room who have gifted discernment, and they know how to pray. They're prayer warriors. They pray every day. They pray with depth. They're praying for this community, even as you were coming in today. And if you're in that category, you will see words of discernment. And the key, if you have discerning gifts of prayer, is that you need to hear that discernment and then give it to the leaders, the elders, and the pastor, and then let it go. The huge mistake of those who have discernment prayer, discernment insight from the Lord, is to hold on to it and then try to lead into it or try to demand that it be fulfilled. And that's not the way it works. I was in a prayer meeting for several years with a group of black pastors who were all very prophetically gifted. And one of the things I learned in that prayer meeting is that you never say more than you think God is saying. And this is all you know, this is all you say. And they were really helpful about saying, well, actually, that's advice. That's actually not prophetic. 
They were very clear with each other and with me when we edged into a place of giving advice. If you have prophetic giftings, if you have prayer giftings and you get words, never say more than you're given. Hand that off and then let someone else lead into it. The last thing I would say about prayer is this, is that in this kind of a community with new challenges and uh, walking into places of following God in the wilderness, there is a renewed opposition from the evil one. Whether you believe in an active evil one or not doesn't actually matter because he exists, and he's actually thrilled if you don't believe in him. But he will do anything to distract you, like tripping and carpets, anything to try to keep you from doing what his work is. You were a great model today of not giving into that. That was absolutely remarkable. But that's the way we work. And prayerfully, we recognize that we are opposing someone who now is not making any bones about the fact that he doesn't want you to exist. And the energy of life comes when we pray together. And so if you have the urge to pray and you don't know how to pray, but you feel gathered with other people, God will teach you how to pray. It is a guarantee. The last thing is this. In every community that follows Jesus into the kingdom, every community, he gives them vision beyond their boundaries. He asks them to take a risk that they may never have thought they could take. It's the kind of risk that generations have taken to actually get this community to where it is. Risk is not new to this community of faith. 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago, there were people who followed Jesus into establishing a community, and they followed Jesus into that. There's a long heritage here of taking that risk. But the danger for us in a new community is to become survivors, a survivor mentality that begins to say, how do we actually just simply exist? Let's not take too many steps. This is so scary. Let's gather on whatever island we're on and then shore up ourselves against any winds that may come so we can be safe. But the Lord's call is that we not stay in a place but move forward. And so we ask the Lord, what's the vision for the new place? Many people have said that the church is a unique institution in that it exists for the benefit of those who are not yet in it. That's what this community is about. This community exists for the people who don't yet know that you exist, and they don't yet know they need the Lord. And so there's a vision for what this community could be. It's a dream that depends on him, and it's not about the past. So who you were five years ago or two years ago is not who you are now. It informs who you are, but there has to be a new leadership, a new way of understanding what it means to be this community in this space in light of what God is doing. And he will faithfully make a space in that for you, for this community, for his kingdom, and for his work. It is complex. And it feels complex. And at times, it feels overwhelming. And the odds feel like they are always against us, because they are. But great missionary to India said, God and one are always a majority. And the reality is, with the Lord in the midst of this, he will do things you can't imagine. With few resources, loaves and fishes, expanding them in places you would never expect, and giving you leadership and hope that you would never understand without this moment. God will always use disorienting crises to help him see himself more clearly 
and to understand our role with him more clearly. In communities that follow Jesus into the wilderness, there's always new opportunities for community. There's new energy for prayer. And there's greater vision for what he might do. My prayer for this community is that you would lean in what God is doing to celebrate, think differently with greater hope for the great thing God would do. Let me pray for us. Father, we recognize in this space that you are doing a work that we can't imagine. It's so clear you're present in this place. It's so clear you're moving. Father, help us to celebrate, to lean in, to listen. Excite the gifts that are present in this room so that your kingdom could come with power in this place. Thank you for all that you are doing, all that you will do, so that your kingdom might come and your glory be revealed. We pray this in your name. Amen.